everybody. It's Drags. It's Wednesday, October 24th, and time for episode 268 of Patriot Speed on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS. Patriots seem like they're up to their old tricks. They started one and two and have now won four straight. They have their offense rolling for the most part with two big special teams contributions on Sunday in the 38-31 win over Chicago. They appear headed on a roll to another double-digit win season. No resistance in the AFC East in sight. The Bills... They also seem up to their old tricks. The team that made the wild card last year, thanks to Andy Dalton and the Bengals winning in Baltimore on the last day. Well, the Bills were annihilated by Andrew Luck and the Colts last Sunday, 37-5 at Indy. With Josh Allen banged up with an elbow injury, the Bills turned to Derek Anderson. They also have Nathan Peterman in short. Right now, Mike Rodak, it's really, really hard to be a Bills fan in Buffalo. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Yeah, how hard is it? I mean, you know, after the playoffs last year, Tyrod Taylor and, and, and a great story fighting to the very end, Sean McDermott uh, getting the Bills to the playoffs and then to have this start to this year at 2-5. and five. What's the sense up in uh, Western New York? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I guess, a realization even right after last season that, you know, it was probably an overachievement what they did last year that it took – as you mentioned, uh, the miracle pass from Randy Dalton on fourth down and really a roster that probably had no business being in the playoffs. They had some wins that, that kind of fell their way throughout the year. You know, a game in Atlanta where both Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu got hurt. A game in Kansas City where Alex Smith was kind of in the middle of his rut uh, that he had last November after they had such a great start. So they caught some teams at the right time and, you know, they probably overachieved last year. So I think a lot of Bills fans went into this season with tempered expectations, knowing that, um, you know, they they decided to get rid of Tyrod Taylor, which I think a lot of Bills fans supported. Uh, I think the idea that he was going to be their franchise quarterback had pretty much faded, and they wanted to look and, and try to find a next quarterback. So I think a lot of people realized in the short term there would be some pain at that position, uh, but there's also a lot of optimism with Josh Allen so that, you know, when he started to see some action, there's there's definitely some hope for Bills fans. But um, it, it's clearly been a season uh, of transition of the quarterback spot. And now that there's an injury to Josh Allen, it's just a season of just trying to get through it. At this point, that's, that's kind of the sense of Bills fans is, well, if we're not trying to watch Josh Allen grow and develop and watching Derek Anderson out there just kind of, you know, meander along as a 35-year-old backup. What's the point? Um, <laughs> What's the point of it exactly? So, <laughs> I think, well, I think those fans are going to come out in force on Monday night. They're going to have a good time. They're going to be hydrated, certainly. Um, and they're going <laughs> to hope for time. an upset. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. you got to stay hydrated. And they're going to hope for an upset. Um, but I think after this game, it's, you know, if they're two and six, you know, obviously the, the playoffs will be pretty much out of the, the possibility at that point. And it's just, you know, go through the rest of the season and hope that Josh Allen comes back and hope he, he shows something. Some background here on Mike Rodak. He, uh, of course, now is the NFL Nation Bills reporter for ESPN, but he's someone who started out covering the Patriots with uh, our old friend Mike Reese. Um, your last year with the Patriots was 2012. Your first year in Buffalo, 2013. You've been on the beat ever since. Um, I'm curious to get your take on the difference in the football cultures because 
there is an expectation here in New England, but I could make the argument they're just as football crazy, a different kind of crazy, in Buffalo. Is that right? It certainly is, and it's it's obviously been a, a football town that has you know fallen on hard times in that area. Has apologize for any background noise. It's actually hailing here in Buffalo and it's sitting in my car. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it's uh, it's you know obviously it's it's been thirty years essentially since the teams had any sort of real success going back to the early 1990s um, with Tim Kelly and, and those teams they put together and all, all of the, 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 the playoff drought years, essentially 18 years without an appearance in the playoffs up until last year. Um, and you had an entire generation of fans that grew up without any idea of what a playoff game felt like, which for somebody like me who grew up in New England and look, I mean, in the 90s when I was a kid, there was not a ton of, of playoffs happening in Boston. There was, you know, the, the Red Sox and the ALCS. There was the Patriots in 96 in the Super Bowl. But overall, it wasn't a great decade. And you get into the next decade, and it's just year after year of winning. Uh, it's been the opposite in Buffalo, where kids grow up without even a lick of, of what it feels like to have a winning team in town. But there is definitely a uh, an engagement factor. Obviously, it's, it's, there's not a whole lot to do in the winter here uh, when the weather is bad. Um, than than watch football or or watch hockey. So whatever two of those teams between the Bills and the Sabres is doing well, you're going to get fans that are really engaged and and tend to, um, you know, get riled up for those teams. Right now, to be honest, it's it's probably the Sabres that are are starting to take the lead, which is unusual considering how bad they've been for the last five years. They've been one of the worst teams in the NHL. Um, But, you know, they were off to a great start this year. The Bills are not. And you can kind of sense the the pendulum swinging back in the direction of hockey right now. Last time the Bills hosted a Monday night game, Mike Rodak, was November 17th, 2008. They lost a heartbreaker to uh, the Cleveland Browns, as a matter of fact, 29-27 in Buffalo. That was important because, uh, I don't know if you remember this, that was their fourth straight loss after starting that season 5-1. and That was the year, of course, uh, Tom Brady was injured in the first game of the season, and Matt Castle came on in relief. Uh, the Pats come calling this Monday, and there's little hope in Buffalo with that 2-5 and five record. And just I, I want to get your sense, your vibe on, on what kind of expectation there is around a Monday night in Buffalo if the 2-5 and five start has kind of put a damper on that, or if people are like, hey, it's Monday night, we're going to put our best foot forward. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. It's almost the traditional Buffalo mentality that, Deep down, people seem to know that things aren't going to go well, but there's always that hope that they will, and occasionally they do. As we've seen in Buffalo, 2003 when the Patriots came in and got blown out 31 nothing, and in 2011 when Brady came in and, and threw four interceptions, and that and that team, that Bills team, started off three and zero, defying expectations. So, you know, it can happen. Um, I think that's that's the hope of the 72,000 people that are going to be there on Monday night, and. If it doesn't, then they have a good time tailgating and, and drinking a few beers and, and watching the game. Uh, that, that's just sort of the mentality, I think, of a typical Bills fan. But they realize how much Tom Brady has owned this team over the past 18 years, and they realize that this, this offense that, that the Bills are putting out um, is one of the worst that we've seen in, in decades. Um, and we know that this quarterback situation is, is heading nowhere fast. So 
they're smart enough football fans to realize that, you know, the odds are certainly stacked against them in this game. Speaking with Mike Rodak, the NFL Nation Bills reporter for ESPN. Hey, Boston sports fans, do you want to get killer seats to see your favorite team for the price of a beer or a large pizza? Tired of paying for all of the inflated markups from brokers? Or last-minute convenience charges just so you can end up paying courtside prices for nosebleed seats? Well, there is an answer. Go to onein100.co. That's onein100.co. Feeling lucky? Try it out now. The novelty of 1 in 100 is that there is no other place online that's doing online raffles to win tickets to events. It's a totally new way to score tickets to your favorite events or a new way to score Celtics tickets. Tickets to events are hard to get, and the good ones, as we all know, are very expensive. The cost to potentially score tickets with 1 in 100 is a small fraction of the actual ticket price. Score a pair of tickets for less than the cost of a beer. Feeling lucky? Try it at 1in100.co. Go there now and register onein one zero zero. Co. Back with Mike Rodak, NFL Nation Bills reporter for ESPN. Okay, Mike, I want you to give me your best Bills Mafia story, and I'm praying you have at least one. And tell me Ooh, about Bills Mafia. One. Yeah. Have you been jumping off yeah. um, the top of vans onto any foldable plastic tables? I can I can safely say I have not. Uh, I generally try to stay away from the parking lots uh, before games because you know it's it's a it's been a pretty rough team and I've had some critical comments of this team over my my six years here and I can't say that I'm uh, you know the most well liked uh, figure in Buffalo as far as it relates to the Bills and Bills Boston. So I think I, I might be in danger if I was walking around some of the parking so lots. Let me, but let me stop you there, yeah. Mike. Let me stop you there and ask you: Wouldn't if they if they're the Bills Mafia, are they just all rah-rah, um, you know, we're behind our team no matter how bad they, they suck or how bad they are on the field. We don't want anybody criticizing them. Or are they the type of fan base that's like, look, if our team stinks, we want people telling us the way it is. I'm, I'm curious to get your read because if it's the latter, then you have nothing to, to fear in that parking lot. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's definitely a segment of fans that realize our jobs and I think are pretty tied in with reality as it relates to the team. But there's also, I think, a pretty large segment of fans that, as mentioned before, just like they want to have a good time and they don't want to, they don't want to hear about what's obvious or, or what they already know in, in their words that, yeah, we know our team sucks, but, you know, just let us, let us enjoy our, our good time essentially. So it's a mix. I don't want to, you know, Describe every single fan, you know, the same way. Right, I get um, that. And, yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely. I, I should say, like, Bills Mafia in general started as really a group of fans that that wanted to do charitable work. Um, and in fact, there is still a charity um, organization. I believe it's called Bill or Buffalo Fan Base Fan Base F A M, where they they do a lot of donations and uh, fundraising. But in some ways, the Bills Mafia tagline or that that name got hijacked by some of the the less savory elements of the fan base, the ones that you know might get arrested after a game or before a game, the ones that are right. setting themselves on fire or breaking cables. So um, there's there's almost like a, a back and forth or a, uh, a grappling in Buffalo between the fans who 
want that Bill's Mafia name to be associated with charity and good works. And, and those who just kind of use it as, you know, we're a bunch of fans that are going to attack whoever questions our team or, or something like that. How does the team feel about it? They tend not to use it. As a team, uh, in their social media, in their public relations, anything official from the team, the coaches, you don't hear that term. And, and my assumption is that they are told not to use that term. Right. Um, that it, there's obviously a pretty negative connotation with Bill's Mafia. <laughs> and in fact, the name itself, again, it started with the Bill's fans wanting to do charitable works, but they, they got that from an Adam Schefter tweet. I think it was about six or seven years ago where he tweeted something about Stevie Johnson. I think it was slightly off the mark or he missed one detail about it. And Bill's fans sort of jumped on him on Twitter and he responded on Twitter that it was like, you know, the Bill's mafia is coming after me. And that, that name kind of stuck, but obviously there's a lot of negative connotation. The team doesn't use it. You might hear some players use it. Like when a player signs in Buffalo, you might, you might see him tweet, you know, right. welcome, welcome to Buffalo. Like, Glad to be part of Bill's Mafia, et cetera. So it varies. You might see an opposing superstar quarterback also make reference to it, as Tom Brady did on Instagram, uh, actually right after dispatching of the Chicago Bears on Sunday. I assume you saw that, Mike, where he said, Bill's Mafia, here we come. I did, yes. Definitely saw that. How is Tom Brady? And, you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think yeah, we have the same, same question and answer there, which is, I mean, a wildly negative connotation to Tom Brady. Anything associated with him in Buffalo, uh, the mere mention of his name tends to <laughs> elicit some sort of reaction from people around here. Um, it's it's definitely a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's just beaten them down for so long, and yep. fans realize that he is so good and he's been so good against this team that they're just sick of him. The same way I think. You know, there's some fans of basketball that are sick of LeBron James for certain reasons. And uh, obviously there's other reasons that are associated with LeBron James with the decision, television show and all that. And there's other things that are associated with Bill's fans hating. And I don't use that word lightly. I do think they hate Tom Brady. Um, and, and, you know, it's been comments over the years. I think four or five years ago, Brady said the hotels in the city weren't great, which, you know, it's probably a kernel of truth to that. And, Bills fans jumped on him for that, and um, you know there's there's definitely some questioning of, of Tom Brady's manhood, which I think is ridiculous. But you get a lot of that among Bills fans. Um, you know, you will see in the parking lots is the, the photo shoot he did with animals several years ago, and, and other things that he said, or right. you know, that can be construed as not manly. Um, again, I think it, it's ridiculous, but that's things that that Bills fans, some Bills fans, tend to jump on. Um, but again, if you talk to, I think the, the smarter fans, the ones who, who know football, they'll, they'll say, look, this guy is great. And, uh, and we're just simply sick of, of having to play against them and have him dominate the division and, and keep us out of the playoffs all these years. Speaking with Mike Rodak, NFL Nation Bills reporter for ESPN. Hey everybody, I want to tell you about an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. It's called Robinhood. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Non-intimidating ways for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time 
with true confidence. Simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. Take it from me, I love their app. It was incredibly easy to track my recent purchases, trade stocks, and keep all of your profits. Place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone like I do. Robinhood Web Platform also lets you view stock collections including the 100 most popular in sectors like entertainment and social media. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio up. Sign up now at patriots.robinhood.com. That's patriots.robinhood.com. Back with Mike Rodak, the NFL Nation Bills reporter for ESPN. Speaking of Tom Brady, how in the world... Do the Bills figure they have a shot defending him on Monday night? Yeah, I mean, this has been a pretty good defense this year. They've been, you know, pretty inconsistent. If you go back to weeks one and two, they gave up 47 points to the Ravens. A lot of that was because of Mason Peterman and his turnovers and, you know, the Ravens getting short fields. And week two, they were letting Phillip Rivers throw all over them for the first half of that game, and they got blown out. But then for the Four weeks after that, they were shut, shutting teams down. I mean, like it was Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota, exactly. That defensive line, the Bills' defensive line, just dominated the Vikings in that game. They they really defined that game and causing Kirk Cousins to turn the ball over. I think there was forced fumbles on, on the first two drives of the game for the Vikings. Um, you know, they they held Marcus Mariota to, to very few yards in a Titans game. Um, Deshaun Watson didn't do a whole lot against them in the Houston game. And then all of a sudden, you know, we thought, hey, this, this defense could be top five in the league. And then they come out last Sunday and the Indianapolis Colts, who have a terrible running game, ran for 220 yards against them. So they're hard to figure out. Uh, there's a lot of talent on that defense. I think they're, from a roster standpoint, they're in a pretty good spot on that side of the ball. Uh, they have a pretty good mix of, of veterans like Kyle Williams, who's been around here forever. He's playing pretty well still, and Lorenzo Alexander, who's also 35 years old, and he's playing great. Uh, and then they have some younger guys, like Tredavious White, who uh, they drafted last year, who's been, I want to say, a shutdown corner, but he, he's certainly on his way to being one, and right. probably the guy you're going to see lined up against Josh Gordon um, in terms of trying to shut down any sort of deep game the Patriots try to play, and then, you know, Tremaine Edmonds in the middle, their first-round pick this year, middle linebacker, so they like what they have on defense, and if they can get a couple of balls to, to fall their way, uh, tip pass at the line that, that they can intercept or, or some fumble uh, from the Patriots that they can recover, then that's when they, they tend to win games is when they get a break here or there uh, defensively and they're able to pick up a couple turnovers and, and win that battle. Um, so that's I, I do think it's possible that they can at least hold Tom Brady somewhat in check where you know maybe he only throws for – 230, 240 yards with maybe an interception or something here and there where at least they're giving their offense a chance. Now, to be honest, the way they've been playing, to give their offense a real chance, they probably have to hold the opponents under 10 points, which <laughs> I think is almost impossible to do with the Patriots. But I do think 20, 25, 28 points is, is a reasonable expectation for this defense uh, to give up from Tom Brady. I think uh, the Bills have to get two touchdowns combined either from special teams or defense or some combination uh, and not relying on the offense to score those two touchdowns for them to even have a prayer on Monday night. I think I think 
you know, privately, Sean McDermott knows that going in. We, we're going to have to get some incredible production from our other two units to help our offense out. You, you know, maybe it not, it's not a touchdown per se, but a turnover that lead gives them such a short field, like 15, 20, 25 yards. It makes it takes the pressure off the offense. I think that's what they're looking at coming in. I want to ask you a uh, question about somebody that uh, was a first-round pick of the Patriots in 2016. I think a lot of people back here in New England have forgotten about him, but Shaq Lawson, how's he looked? Yeah, he had a pretty rough start to his career. Uh, so it would have been 2016 when the Bills chose him 19th overall, and that was when the Bills were running somewhat of a 3-4 defense under Rex Ryan. It wasn't a true 3-4s, that Jets 3-4 that we saw for a few years under Rex. And he was playing outside linebacker. He was standing up at the line of scrimmage. It was a different sort of a feel for him than what he did at Clemson when he was a true 4-3 defensive end. So he was all out of sorts that year. Right. And then he comes in last year with Sean McDermott. Who's, okay, we're back to a 4-3 defense with Wesley Frazier. Uh, you know, sort of that not really a Tampa two, but it's a cover two zone based defense and he's back to playing. And well, the problem last year was he was out of shape. Uh, he was overweight. He was not engaged as far as being on time. He was benched for the start of a game one time for a rules violation. And it was just clear that, you know, he needed to sort of get his head on straight as an NFL player. Well, that's what we heard all of this past offseason, that he would be that player, that he would you know, take the step forward in his career. And I think we saw some signs of it in training camp. He had a couple of good plays in practice. He had a couple of good plays in the preseason. He, he flashed a little bit early on in, in this year when Trent Murphy was hurt. But this really still not an impact player. Um, you know, he's not the greatest pass rusher. Uh, he's, he's pretty good against the run, but... You know, if you could go back and do that 2016 draft over again, I don't know if he's a first round pick. Right. Uh, probably a second or third round pick. So, um, it's funny. There's actually only three players, I believe it is now, who were drafted by the Bills before 2017 who are still on the roster. And he's one of them. It's him. It's John Miller, who was a third round pick in 2015, the guard. And Kyle Williams, who was a draft pick back in 2006, who, who's still around. Other than that, every single draft pick that the Bills had before last season is gone. How star-crossed is Sean McCoy? And and what's the future hold for him? Yeah, I'm not sure that it's it's going to be much longer for him in Buffalo. I know there's multiple reports last week that the Bills were unlikely to trade him uh, before the deadline, which is next Tuesday. And that he, you know, they still view him as having a long-term future in Buffalo. I'm not convinced. Um, you know, I, I do think part of that might be posturing from a, you know, a market creation standpoint, trying to get teams to, right. to buck up and, and to get more in the market. Um, you look at his, his contract, he signed through next year, but the Bills can very easily get out of it after this year, as could another team. If they're acquiring that deal, there's really no guaranteed money. So um, it's it's a very tradable deal. You're looking at a 30-year-old running back who probably has another year or two, maybe three left, where he's still, you know, an NFL starter playing at that level. Um, and you know, he's still, I think, good enough to to contribute for another team, maybe the Eagles, and that's that's the team that's been mentioned. But after losing Jay Ajayi, so for the Bills, it's you know could get that production from him the next year or two, but you're not making the playoffs this year. You're probably not making them next year unless you can 
really get things turned around. So um, I do think it's going to take maybe a fourth, maybe a fifth round pick in order to, to pry him away from the Bills, but I don't really see him as having a long term future in Buffalo. I don't think he's playing at quite the same level that we saw a couple of years ago. He still has it. I mean, he's not, it's not like he's falling off a cliff, but he's not quite as good as he was in the last couple of years. And he's playing behind a bad offensive line. He's been hurt a couple of times this year in the concussion protocol right now. And he's also playing for an offense that is falling behind in games. And there's just not a whole lot of opportunity for him to, to be a, a true runner. Why is or isn't Sean McDermott the man for the long-term solution at head coach? Yeah, it's funny. If you asked that question seven or eight months ago, I think anybody on the street here in Buffalo would say, hey, that's really the guy. I mean, this is, he always talks about the process and, um, you know, the Bills are going to do things the right way and they're going to find players who do things the right way and build a team as opposed to just collecting talent and all sort of these buzz phrases and ideas that he brought to town last year. And I think players bought into it. I think the media bought into it. I think there's a lot of validity to it. I mean, this is a guy who, who did come up through a pretty successful system with Andy Reid uh, with the Eagles and, and Ron Rivera with the Panthers as well. Um, he seems to have his head on straight, but I think there's been an erosion of public support this season, even going back to training camp, um, the preseason when everybody saw the direction things were going at quarterback. And obviously there's, there's a huge um, blind spot, you could say, for Sean McDermott. When you look at Nathan Peterman, this is a guy who everybody who has watched him play quarterback in the NFL realizes he just doesn't have it. I mean, that's fine. A lot of quarterbacks don't have it, and you cut them and you move on, and those guys move on with their lives. But Sean McDermott just seems determined to try to make it work with Nathan Peterman, one of his draft picks last year when he was running the draft. And we always hear about how much he, he likes Nathan Peterman from a character standpoint, the fact that he is a faith-based man and he's married and sort of these nebulous things that don't really seem to apply to the football field. Sean McDermott loves that stuff, and he loves that out of Nathan Peterman. So he's lost a lot of public support just because of that situation, uh, starting him in week one and then him being the backup still and being the first guy on the field in the Texans game and then losing that game for them. Uh, but overall, it's just people, are, I think, are starting to question, well, all this process and this, this direction that Sean McDermott talks about is not really – creating not bearing fruit right now on the field for this team and i think people are starting to look at it as sort of empty talk as opposed to a strategy that's actually working what about brandon bean the general manager who i think was the star of the nfl um in terms of gm's uh last year building up all of those first round picks over 2019 and 2020 correct or even yep. 2018 and uh, where are they now with Brandon William, uh, Brandon Bean? Yeah, so it's a slightly, I think, different public perception of him, mostly because he came here a little bit later. So McDermott arrived in January of 2017. He was mostly in charge of that draft in 2017 when, might I add, they, they traded down from the number 10 spot. They got Tredavious White, who's a great player, but they traded out of the number 10 spot that the Chiefs took Patrick Mahomes with, and then two picks later the Texans took to Sean Watson so that one could work to the Bills uh yeah exactly but then Brandon Bean was hired after that draft so he doesn't have that on his record 
and his only draft right now is the one where they took Josh Allen. So I think it's going to take some time for fans to judge Brandon Bean uh, because it's, it's mostly going to be based on the Josh Allen pick. And a lot of what led up to that, which, as you mentioned, was all the trades of Cordy Glenn and Tyrod Taylor and Marcel Darius and Sandy Watkins and Ronald Darby and Reggie Ragland, all these guys who he traded away, uh, all the cap space that he cleared for next season. They have $80, $90 million in cap space next year. They have an extra fifth-round pick, an extra seventh-round pick, uh, an extra fourth-round pick, too, as well next year. And so that's that's what he's going to be judged, is how does he use that cap space, how does he use those draft picks, and ultimately, is Josh Allen the right guy? So I think it's going to take longer for Bills fans to develop an opinion on Brandon Bean as opposed to Sean McDermott, where you know the results of his coaching and his decisions last year are, are more immediately seen on the field. Going to wrap it up with Terry and Kim Pagula. How accepting have Bills fans been to that family, to that power couple, since they took over the Bills, obviously their owners are the Sabres. They, you know, are a huge, huge part of Western New York in the grand plan to invest in Buffalo. I mean, they are really the reason the Bills are still in Buffalo, correct? That's exactly it. That's the reason why I think uh, there is so much admiration for them after all those years in you know the late stages of Ralph Wilson's life where people had no idea what would happen to this team once he died. Um, people thought they would go to Toronto because, you know, they were playing games there. People thought they would go to LA, uh, somewhere else. And when Ralph Wilson did die four years ago, uh, four and a half years ago, there were other people bidding on the team. One of them was Donald Trump, which he says he was going to keep the team in Western New York. I mean, take him at his word, I guess, if you want to. Uh, and then there was John Bon Jovi and a uh, Toronto-based group that included Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which owns, I believe, the Raptors and the Blue Jays, so, um, and Rogers Communications as well up there. So that was a group that clearly, even though they said they were going to keep the team in Buffalo, I mean, everything on paper right. was pointing to them moving the team to Toronto. So the Pagulas come in, and they outbid both of those other two groups, and they are local to the area. Um and that's, again, like you said, that's the reason why they're here. Now, with that said, while Bill's fans are certainly grateful of that, I think there's also, um, you know, some angst sometimes that they don't have a ton of experience running professional sports teams. Terry Pagula uh, was in oil and natural gas in Pennsylvania. That's how he, he built his fortune. Um, and to be honest, Kim Pagula was a waitress at a restaurant where he used to go. And that's how she met him, and that's how she got into the business. So neither of them really have a ton of experience um, running a sports team, and, and the results haven't been great overall for either the Bills or the Sabres under their ownership. But at the end of the day, a Bills fan or a Sabres fan will still tell you, well, at least we still have the team, and that's that's pretty important. Want to thank everyone for downloading today's podcast. Want to thank, want to thank our great guest Mike Rodak covering the Bills for ESPN's NFL Nation. Mike, I want you to tell everybody listening how they can follow you on Twitter. Yes, it'll be at Mike Rodak, M-I-K-E-R-O-D-A-K, or on ESPN.com, the, uh, the Buffalo Bills page. Perfect. Of course, we want to thank our great sponsors, One in 100 and Robinhood. For producer Michael Longi, our executive producer Larry H. Russell, and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriot Speed Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Oh,